2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. Um, and let's go before the Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for letting us be in this place. We ask you to speak through your word and open it up. Minister to the hearts and people who walk away like they ask for it's changed and renewed and refreshed. Give you words to speak. Bless this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright. Second Kings chapter six. Well, have you as you've seen, uh, these books contain a lot of stories of straight up, yep. You guessed it, kings. Uh, kings, lots of kings, the kings of Israel. The kings of Judah, um, the kings of the, well, the Middle East there, you see from Jordan, you see from all the surrounding areas, the king of Egypt there, um, lots of stories, lots of battles going on. And we're going to see Elisha tonight doing some crazy stuff. Uh, let's just take a look at the story. You'll see what happens. There in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, the sons of the prophets said unto Elijah, Behold, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray, to thee unto the Jordan. Take thence every man a beam, and let us make us their place, where we may dwell. And he answered, Go. And one said, Be content, I pray, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was cutting a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. Stop there real quick. What's happening? Well, you have Elisha there with some of these sons of the prophets. These guys are students of the Bible. And uh, what happens is the place that they're meeting is getting a little too small. It's getting really packed. And so they say, Hey, we need to go over to another place and build a new place. And so that's what they do. They go and they grab their axe and they go and they start chopping down trees and they start building this place. One guy who's borrowed an axe is chopping the wood. Because what happens is that the, the axe head falls off into the water and it sinks, of course. It's iron of some type, some type of metal, lead, I don't know, but it sinks to the bottom. An interesting note, I was reading a commentary, it says, hey, all lead does not, or all iron does not sink. Ships, ships do not sink in solid steel. Well, this one did, and look what happens. And the man of God said, where where fell it, and where did it fall? And he showed him a place, and he cut down a stick, and he cast it in. And the iron did swim, it says. Therefore said he, take it up to thee, and put it on his hand, and took it. Okay, so what happens? Well, Elijah's standing Elisha is standing there, and this man, he's bummed because what? Yeah, he lost the accent in somebody else's. So he says, well, where did it fall? And he's like, over there. So Elisha grabs a stick and throws it in the water. And it says that the iron head floated to the top of the water, and the man picked it up and grabbed it and put it back on. Now, this is a random story. What are you doing here, and why is it being told about? Well, I truly believe that it's something that... It was a miraculous thing right there in the eyes of these young prophets, something that hey, no one had ever seen before. They're just doing natural things and something supernatural happens right in their eyes. 
Now, people may challenge and say, how could something supernatural happen as that? That sounds like phone. Come on. An axe head rising to the top of the water? That's what it sells. How do you challenge that? Well, what you say is this. The challenge is, did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then guess what? Any miracle is one man can raise himself from the dead. This is impossible. They say there are more facts pointing to Christ rising from the dead than George Washington crossing the Delaware. So I ask the question, if this is true, if this happened, why would it happen here in this time? I believe it's something to get these guys' attention, to see and to show that this man, Elisha, is a man, is a prophet of God. And many times, I remember when I was at a, uh, a church down there in L.A., and I was sitting, I've, I've told the story before, but I didn't really get this guy. This guy was telling us that people were going to be healed and all this stuff, and I was kind of like, okay, I'm not really digging this. I don't know. This kind of seems kind of weird. Uh, you know, how is this going to happen? What, what's going to happen? going to go down tonight, and he's saying at the end of the service, people are going to. And um, so I'm sitting there, we sit the whole message, and I kind of listen to him, and then I, I told the story, what he does, he has all the people around start praying for people that they've been healed, he calls out a bunch of different things, starts praying for people, and what had happened is all these people started claiming that they had been healed. And, and the man up there on the stage was not, he was not saying uh, like, you know, prancing around the stage and dancing and shouting out and all this. And he was more or less standing there saying, look, if you claim that you're healed, then go to the doctor and get it tested and see if you are. And then we'll say that you're healed. And then we'll say that he was just challenging and it was great. Because I saw something different in this guy. And people people did go and they, they get these reports back and then they, they, they write these things down and they broadcast it over the radio station. Anyways, what happened, what this guy was saying is, the message goes forth, like, why do miracles happen? Why is it there? What happens is, when somebody gives a message, or gives out the gospel, it says that miracles will follow. Why? To show that this is true, so that they will believe, so that they will see. That the miracle always follows the message. That's the way it works. Even Jesus himself, is his teachings, things that he did, he used them as opportunities to bring glory to God. And here is the same thing happening. This is random. They're just doing same old, same old work. And something supernatural goes down. It's the same for us. We're walking through our days, cutting down trees, doing whatever you do. And God does the supernatural there within your life, there at work, there at school. Crazy things go down. I believe we call out to Him. Let's go ahead and move on with this story because it's kind of... That's kind of completely separate from the rest of the chapter. Let's look at verse 8. The king of Syria warned against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such as a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place where the man of God told him and warned him of, saved himself there, not once, nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for the thing. And he called his servants, and he said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in the bedchamber. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, again, kind of a separate thing. All of a sudden, 
Elisha, the prophet, comes up to who? Well, the king of Israel. And he tells him, he says, listen, what you want to do is take your army and encamp them in a different place over here. Because the king of Syria is going to attack. So stay far away. The Syrians will come and attack you. So what does he do? He sets them up in a different place each time. Elijah te- Elisha tells them where to go. And the king, king of Syria gets killed. Because every time he goes to attack, the people are not where he thought they were. And so this another supernatural thing happens. The king of Syria finds out who it is that Elisha is telling the king of Israel where to move, where to move, where to go. And the king of Syria wants to come and kill the prophet. I remember watching, uh, if, if you've never seen it, you should watch the 50 Years War, I believe it's called. It's a documentary on Israel. And it's about like an eight-hour flick, I think. It's pretty long. But you see some, the crazy go down. Now, it's a non-biased documentary. They're not for the Arabs, they're not for the Jews. It's, it's just non-biased. It's just, they just tell the truth. And it's sweet watching both sides of what happens. They start telling the story of this 50-year war and what happens. And they tell both sides. And I'm telling you, from the perspective, looking through the eyes of God on this thing, it's amazing. Because you see random stuff happen like this. Like, I remember one thing. I think it was a six-day war. I can't remember. But all of a sudden, the Arabs are about to attack Israel. And Israel, they find out somehow. And so they get the plan. They're, they're just about to attack. And what had happened? I'm sorry. Yeah, it, something was happening where there's this tension. Like everybody, somebody was about to attack. And the Arabs were where Israel was. What had happened is the day before Israel attacked, the Arab countries surrounding, they changed their uh, their communication system, okay? They changed up. They just so happened to put in this new communication system amongst all the armies surrounding Israel. So what happens? Well, the day before, again, Israel attacks, they change the communication systems, and then all of a sudden Israel just, that day, just decides, like, we got to attack now or they're going to wipe us out. So they rise up and they start attacking. What happens is the planes take off in the south, their air force. They take off in the south and they go down through Egypt and they start attacking the Arab, uh, 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 this, their bases there. And what happens is they go from place to place and, and the Arab nations are trying to communicate to the next one over saying, Israel's attacking, but it's brand new communication system so they can't communicate. They can't let the next army know that Israel's coming. So with six planes, what they do is they fly from the south of Egypt all the way up to the top of Lebanon and destroy every single army. Right there, and then right after that, they take all the land back of Egypt, all the way into the Sinai. They have more land than they started with, and it's just the most crazy, miraculous thing you've ever seen. Because it just so happens that the day before Israel attacks, the Arabs change the communication system. They cannot communicate, and Israel wipes out the whole thing for like six months. It's just insane. And I think about this. It's the same things that I see in the Old Testament. The Bible teaches that God still has his hand on Israel and that no one will ever be able to wipe them off the face of the earth. How long is that little nation? It's it's big as big as San Bernardino County. What is it still doing on the face of the earth? How many nations have rose, risen up against this thing to try to wipe it off the face of the earth? Why can't you kill this little San Bernardino County place? I believe Israel took up rocks to fight against missiles. They would win. Because the hand of God is behind them. Who can wipe them out? Why do they always win? They've been beat down, struck down, ripped off. 
put in bondage for years and for years, and they still survive. Amazing. Where's Rome? Where's Greece? Where are the Syrians? Where are these great nations? They're gone. The little Israel still remains. Now, where's the principle that we can find in this? It's simple. king of Israel listened to who? The man of God, Elijah. He told him what to do. He listened. And what happened? His army was saved. The Syrians, the enemy came to attack them. What happened? They didn't get caught. They did not die. It's a simple principle. I believe it's one of the most simple principles on the face of the earth this day, but people choose not to follow after it. This one. If you follow God and his commands, you'll be blessed. Bottom line. If you don't, you won't. It's clear as day. I believe if you threw God out of the picture and just stuck to the commandments of the Bible that you would have. Hey, you call me a rich man? Because it teaches you to work very hard. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't do it. That's what it teaches. You would do everything under the Lord. If you take away God and just apply the simple principles, hey, you're not going to have a messed up family. If you apply these principles and these commandments, the problem is, is even we, the church, do not apply the and the commands many times. And that is why you see destruction. It's simple. Follow the commands of the Lord. If you don't, you will. The testimony is clear in many of my old friends' lives. I'll just compare their lives to mine. Not boasting in Josh Thompson. Ooh, look at what he's done. Absolutely. Boast in God and what he has done. He would minister to me that he would work in me. I feel so bad for the man who chooses not to see the face of Why? Because you miss out on life in that abundant people the serve. It's like this picture, this illustration. It's like the father who comes to the little boy who's playing in the mud. And tells him, son, son, I want to take you on a trip around the world. He's like three years old. He can't understand. Look at a trip around the world. And the little boy is playing in the mud. Playing in the mud. Son, son, come on. I want to take you on a trip around the world. He's not excited about it. He has no clue what that even means. And this is the picture of the world we live in today. The majority of the world is doing what? They're just playing in mud. Messing up lives. Hey, let's party hard. Let's get rich. Let's be powerful and fame. But when we look at all the people who have done that, it looks like they've just played in a bunch of mud, doesn't it? They look all messed up and beat up and worn down. They're not enjoying life. They hate it. Why is this? It's because they do not keep the commandments of the Lord. They choose to just rebel against God. They don't want to have anything to do. It's a simple principle. When the man of God speaks, you listen. The king of Israel listened. He was saved. And that's why I, I beg and plead with you guys like, time after time, night after night, week after week, to stay away from sin. Stay away. It will destroy you. Sin is pleasurable for a season, isn't it? Let's just be honest with ourselves right now. There are things that we mess around with and things that we fall into continually. 
Now, if we look at these things or watch ourselves, would it be disrespecting? Would it be just simply not loving? Would it be falling into temptation? Whatever it may be, these things only bring death to your life. They only mess you up. They only work you. They only destroy. It is the most simple thing that I try to apply daily within my life, but I fail. But if we can grab hold of this, and I exhort you and remind you of these things so that what? Hey, you'd be encouraged in them. That when the man of God speaks, you would listen, take heed so that you'll be saved. If you don't, the Syrians will come, okay? And you'll be cut down. You look at life. Let's just look at our regrets. Let's just look at the thing that we wish. That our regrets come. Why? Because we did not listen to the man of God. We chose to do our own thing, go our own place, and we were cut down an instant. And we wonder. We sit there in bed at night wondering why life is this way. Follow the commandments, my friends. Seek after God. Listen to His words and His voice. And you'll be blessed, I promise Verse 13, let's move on. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told to him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. So the king of Syria is ticked, and he wants to kill Elisha. So he goes to try to find him. Look at verse 14. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and great a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host encompassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Uh-oh. Oh, snap. Watch what's about to go down. This is crazy. So what happens? The king of Syria ticked off. I'm going to kill Elisha. A little bluster for, hey, messing up my little plan. I was going to wipe out the king of Israel and all of his army. But he told them where to go. So guess what? So the king of Syria sends chariots and horses. Tons of them. It doesn't say how many. I would assume probably thousands. And they go and they surround the city, the, the city Dothan, that Elijah is in. What happens? All of a sudden, Elijah's uh, boy, his, his sidekick, she said, Elisha, look at all the chariots and horses around. Are you? What are we going to do? Elisha looks at him and he's like, dude, calm down. It's okay. There are more chariots and horses with us than are with them. And look what happens. Verse 17. Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Stop there. All of a sudden, it's like, can you imagine? What if an army just like rolled up on this place because we were teaching the Bible? I believe the day will come soon when the gospel will not be allowed to be preached or talked about. But can you imagine? It's happening in China. It's happening all over the world. All the Muslim countries will die for speaking about Jesus. Can you imagine if an army rolled up on this place? And all of a sudden, it's just like, what are we going to do? It's like, it's all right. Don't worry about it. 
there's a bigger army around us than there is out there. What are you talking about? Pray a little prayer. Open the eyes of the people. All of a sudden, you see what? You see chariots and horses. It says a fire. A fire. More than them. Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine what was happening. They're sitting looking around like, what is going on here? This is crazy. See, what we must understand is that we people are made up of what? We're made up of the physical and the spiritual. Yes. There are two sides to you. I'm sorry, and the third part is your soul. It is who you are. The physical, yeah, that's my skin. The spirit, hey, that's what communicates with God. And the soul is what? It's your personality. It's in here. There is as much physical going on as we see in this place as there is spiritual going on throughout the world. The Bible speaks about kings in the spiritual realm, the king of Persia. Kings that actually sit above a city and wait to destroy it, to wipe out and to strike down. There is actually a spiritual realm, something going on outside there, even within here. Can you imagine if the lights were just turned on, called the Matrix, whatever you want to call it, but also it's just like we saw outside of this. That's what they saw on that day, that's what happened. What I want to communicate to you guys is this. Even when reality hits you in the face, even when it's staring at you, there it is, that's what's happened, something tragic, something big, you need to understand that there's an army around you that is greater than your situation, that is greater than the army staring at you in the face. You've got to understand that. This is maybe a word for just maybe a couple of people here tonight. Not all of us are in tragedy. But I believe there are some, maybe, maybe you have some hard times. You need to know that the king will pull through for you day in and day out. Genesis chapter 9 tells us after the earth was flooded, that what? A rainbow was put in the sky, promising never to flood ever again, completely destroying the earth. That rainbow is, guess what, in the sky every single time it rains. If it's in the sky every single time it rains, what I see is this, a picture of a promise that is kept. What God says he's going to pull through in your life, he will. He does not fail. He doesn't know how. Just because it's not when you desire it and when you want it. I remember an atheist in high school, my buddy Bill Ryder. He said this to me. He said, Josh. They did a poll. They took a poll and said that prayer only comes true 50% of the time. I said, really? He's like, yeah, prayer only comes true 50% of the time. I'm like, well, can't God say no? He doesn't have to say yes every time. This is... It says that God will do what is best for our lives. He will cause all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He will do that for us. Love Him, seek His face, walk with Him closely. Watch how life will be changed. Hey, problems will still come. Let's get real, man. We all face problems. But what do you do if you don't have God? Well, you drink. Hey, you 
chase after something that will make you happy, right? I mean, guys will chase after women. Women will chase after guys. People will seek after fame and success and money. I feel that all the time. That's the conversation I have with old buddies. All they want to know is how successful you are. That determines who you are. How's things been going, man? Oh, sweet, man. I got this big truck. You got to see it. It's like this big. That's cool. No, but how are things going? Oh, man, job's great. You know, I'm making big money. No, no, but how, how are things going? Now, they don't want to tell me about the divorce. They don't want to tell me that their wife cheated on them or that they went out and did something stupid or really. And that's what I'm saying. That these simple principles, these simple things, we have a king who cares for us, a God who is willing to pull through day in and day out. The armies come, recognize, remember. The problem comes, remember what is around you. And God will pull through for you. Let's move on here. So there's chariots of fire round about Elisha and this guy who's scared. Look at verse 18. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite these people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Oh, snap. This is crazy. So all of a sudden, there's the arm. Can you imagine? There's the army out right there. And it's just like, yeah, just blind those people just for a sec. And all of a sudden, it's like, boom. These people are blind. What happens? Look what happens. Verse 19. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were come to, into Samaria that Elijah said to the Lord, Open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. The king of Israel said to Elisha, when he saw them, we'll stop there before we see what he said. What happens? He strikes them with blindness. And then Elijah, Elisha, I'm sorry, the guy who they're trying to seek after, the guy they're trying to kill, what does he do? He walks up and says, hey guys, hey guys. They can't see him, right? Because they're blind. Maybe they weren't exactly blind, but they just couldn't tell what he was seeing. And he walks up and he's like, hey, I know where the guy's at. Just follow after me. And so they start following Elisha, the guy they're looking after. And he leads them into Samaria and leaves them there. <laughs> and this is just Look what happens. The king of Israel said, verse 21, when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? The king of Israel thinks that Elisha has brought the people in there blind so that he can just slaughter them and kill them. Look what Elisha does. Look at this. This is amazing. Remember, these are the people that wanted to kill Elisha. Look what Elisha says about these. He says, and he answered them, thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite those who thou hast taken captive with the sword and thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Wow. Grace. Grace. The people who are about to kill him. He has the opportunity to kill them. And what does he do? He gives them food and water. He gives them food and water. This is insane, okay? This is grace. This is the love of God. This is agape. This is unconditional. This doesn't make sense. If someone was about to kill you, would you go and buy them food? 
Would you take them out to eat? Would you give them a thousand dollars if they wanted to kill you? It doesn't make sense, but this is the love that only God gives. And this is the love that we are to show to the world. You are to bless those who curse you. You are to love your enemy. Proverbs tells us that if you bless one who curses you, it's like throwing heaping coals on their heads. It's like heaping coals, hot coals on their heads, I'm sorry. What does that mean? When you bless someone who decides to hurt you, it's the greatest thing you could ever do. It breaks a person. It's like this illustration. If the little boy, I'm sorry, the bully came up to the little boy every single day for a month and beat him up for his lunch money for a month straight, kept taking his money, there's a little boy again, walk up, smash him in the face and take his lunch money. It would be the little boy walking up to the bully the day that the bully doesn't punch him in the face and say, hey man, I want to give you five bucks. Who loves like that? Who blesses those who curse them? Who blesses those who put down? That is what we are called to. Hey, maybe the boss at work is just a jerk. Why don't you buy him lunch? Maybe that person that you don't get along with that well, your family, they just rub you the wrong way. Why don't you love on them? Why don't you just bless them? This is not what the king has done for us. He's forgiven us. We are the ones who have ran from him and sinned and shook our face, I mean, shook our fist in his face day after day, night after night, with our sin and the way that we live. And he chooses to forgive and show love that is unbelievable. It doesn't make sense. If somebody cheated with your girlfriend, would you take them out to eat? We have cheated with God. If somebody punched you in the face, how many times would you forgive them? God never stops forgiving. He never stopped reaching out to the man or the woman. This is grace. The enemy has come to kill Elisha. And what does he do? He gives them bread and water. The, the entire army. I can't believe what the king must have thought. The king of Syria, his army. It's like when they got back, it's like, what happened? Well, um, we kind of were blind and we went into Samaria and they had an opportunity to kill us. We didn't find Elisha. Actually, we did find him. We, we couldn't kill him exactly because we couldn't see him. And, uh, so they had an opportunity to kill us, and they didn't. They just gave us, they threw a party and gave us some food. The king's like, what? You gave them, they gave you food? Yeah. When you do something to someone who hates you, like bless them, it is like heaping coals upon their head. They can't believe it. It doesn't make sense. They don't get it. Bless those Pray for those. Love on those who hate you. Let's move on here. Verse 23, And he prepared a great provision for them, and when they had eaten and drunk, he set them away. And they went to their masters, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. There it is. Verse 24, something new happens. Check this out. It came to pass after this that Benadad, 
king of Syria gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. So they go to attack Samaria now. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for fourscore for eighty pieces of silver. And the fourth part of the calves of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And the king of Syria was passing upon the wall. Before I go there, I want to explain what's happened. Benedad, the king of Syria, remember this enemy army, he walks up to Syria, remember where they were blinded and all this, and they went to, and they start attacking the place. And there's a famine in the land at that time. That means what? There's no food. That means people are starving. And so uh, they said they were starving so bad that it came down to a donkey's head would be worth 80 pieces of silver. That's how bad people were just dying. It's like if, a, if you went into Albertsons right here and you wanted to get some food, and it's like, a, you know, those... What? Spam. Yeah, that's that's right. Spam. That's a great... <laughs> spam was like 80 bucks, okay? Who likes spam anyways? Don't raise your hand. Oh, Jeremy. But like one of those pig hooks or something like that. $80 for that. Who wants to eat that? Cost some big money. And it says even the pigeon's dung. Translation, you know. It was worth like five bucks. Who wants this stuff? But that's how bad things were. That's how bad the famine was. We live in America... We don't wonder where to get food. We just go to the grocery store. Hey, you want some coffee? Just buy some. We would never recognize that there are actually people in other countries yeah, that would die for the head of a donkey. Would fight for it so they have food to eat. We would never know that. I would encourage every one of you to travel outside the country to a third world country somewhere out of this bubble and recognize what's in the rest of the world and how bad things are. It'll break your heart. I remember when I lived down in Mexico in that orphanage that we went during Christmas time to bless this woman. This was her house. Are you ready? It's like uh, it was this little trailer but it was half a trailer. It was cut in half. Literally cut in half. There's no wall on one side. And they have like a little bed in there. It's probably about the size of just like like just right here. That That's it. They have a bed in the corner, they have a stove right here, and the floor is dirt. And she didn't have blankets, and so we brought blankets over for her. She has two little boys, and the father is off trying to find work. Very poor. They don't have a place to take a shower, they don't have a bathroom, they don't have anything. And we came during Christmas time, and we wanted to bless them. So all the guys there, it was with 22 guys, we, we put together all of our money as much as we could. It was 200 bucks. And we went, and we went to this woman. And she didn't even know it was in the envelope. But we were saying in Spanish, you know, like, God bless you. Don't worry, God will take care of you. And we gave her the arm. She started crying. She's broken right there in a second. You know, I'm just so, like, it was wonderful. I'll never forget it. But when we left that place, after we prayed for her, the man that I was with told me that $200 was like $2,000 to her. And that would last them a couple months worth of food. 200 bucks. We spend that on jeans. It's just, it's crazy the world we live in and how bad things are out there, but we don't see it. That's why I encourage you. 
to give. When there's opportunity to go on missions and to help people outside, do that. Me and Jay, we have this vision that we would love to like build a castle like in another country. Just build a huge castle and put guards on the outside so the government cannot attack. And then just tell all the kids and all the orphans to come and run inside so they can be locked in and close the gates and then just take care of them and feed them and nurture them. Show them the love of Christ. That is what we are called to. We America, we're just sitting on our butts over here just enjoying life. We've got to get busy. We've got to be different. Stop acting and talking like you're a Christian and do something. It's gonna watch how bad this is. Watch how bad this family is. Check this out. It says, And as the king of Israel was passing upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my Lord, O king. The rich man walking by the poor woman, and look what happens. He said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press. And the king said to her, What alieth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. Stop. Did you hear that? Or I didn't even know that was in the Bible. This woman is sitting there. The rich king is walking by. And she says, King, King, stop. What? Well, what is it? Help me. If God doesn't help you, how can I help you? It says this. This is what happened. A woman came to me and asked if we could eat my son because there's no food. This is sick. How does it get to this? This is sick. And she said, so... We're to prepare my son today and then eat her son tomorrow. But look what happens. Verse 29. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hid him. She hid her son. The saddest thing is there's probably things like that going on today that you have no clue about. You don't ever think about. No one ever wonder don't really care. But this famine is so sick and so thick that these people are willing to turn to cannibalism. And this woman gave her son and then they're supposed to can you even see how twisted and sick this is? It's like, I gave my son and she's not giving hers. What are we going to eat? Look what happens. Verse 30, and it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes, he ripped his clothes and passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within his flesh. Then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elijah, the son of Shaphat shall stand on him this day. But Elijah sat in his house and the elders with him. The king sent a man from before him. But here the messenger came to him. He said to the elders, See how this son of a murder, murderer has sent to take mine head. Look when the messenger cometh, shut the door, and hold fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while yet they talked with him, behold, the messenger came down unto him. And he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? So this king gets ticked, the king of Syria, Benedad. He said, I'm going to go find Elisha talk to him about his God. 
But see, what they do not recognize is that the people do not turn to God. Neither is the king turning to God. They don't care. They don't give a rip about God. And, and this is the same place that I believe that any nation will get to when they reject the living God, which this country is doing at this moment. They don't give a rip about God. When we reject God, this is when destruction will come. Remember when I talked about just choosing the simple things like seeking after the face of God? What if everybody, throw God into the picture, what if everybody in America just took hold to the principles and the commands of God? Love God and love people, man. This place would be a whole lot different than what you see today. People don't care. They love themselves. They're selfish. They want what they want. They just want to do their own thing. These things happen, and then guess what? Everybody does what? After they ruin their own lives, after they fall into destruction, what do they do? God did it. What the heck's wrong with you, God? Why don't you help me? So it always is with our own lives. At the party, um, messing around with the girl, and she gets pregnant. Then what do I do? I shake my fist at God. How could this happen? You idiot. Why didn't you obey the commandment of the Lord? You have the abusive father who beats his kids because he comes home drunk every night. He loses everything. He loses his wife. He loses his house. He loses everything. Many ways he do. He shakes his fist at God. How could you let this happen to me? Wait a minute. Why are you doing these things? You don't have to be drunk at all. Serve starts slowly. You see, when you disobey the commandments of the Lord, it's not God's fault. You've made your bed now lying at Proverbs tells us. We're going to close this up with chapter 7. 20 verses. This story continues on. Elijah said, Hear this the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? He said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but you shall not eat thereof. So what happens? The man who came to the door, Elijah looks at him and says, Listen, buddy, yeah, there's a famine in Samaria right now. Remember, a donkey's head costs like 80 bucks. And a pigeon's, yeah, you know what, costs like 5 bucks, okay? And then he says, Elijah says, tomorrow, Elisha says, tomorrow, barley is going to cost like 10 cents, and flour will cost you 15 cents. Everything's just going to be restored. He's like, what? You're crazy. What is the, he mocks God. What is the window of heaven's going to open up? And she says, yeah, actually it is. But guess what? You're not going to be able to eat of any of it. And when I was reading this first, I was like, what does it mean he's not going to be able to eat any of it? How's that going to happen? Let's watch and see. Verse 3, And there were four leprous men at, at the entering of the gate, and they said to one another, Why sit we here until we die? <laughs> There's some leprous guy, le- guys who are lepers sitting there just kicking it. All of a sudden they're just like, Man, what are we doing here? 
We're just going to sit here till we die? Let's do something with our lives. Okay. So they get up, verse 4. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. Now therefore come and let us fall under the host of the Syrians. If they save us, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall die. Okay, so this is what they said. They're like, okay, we can't go into the city, and we're not going to stay out here. We've been sitting here for years. What are we going to do, guys? Okay, I got it. What we'll do is we'll go into the Syrian camp. Either they're going to kill us, who cares, we're going to die anyways, or they might save us and give us food. So let's just go over it. So they, they plan this out, and they get up. Look what happened, verse 5. And they arose in the twilight, or the nighttime, to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the utmost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. Verse 6, For the Lord hath made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of the great host. And they said unto one another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Uh-oh. So what had happened? The lepers, these, this little crew, they called themselves the lepers. They cruise over to uh, the Syrian army. They walk up to their camp. Like, what's going on? Nobody's here. What had happened? This is what happened. The Syrian army is sitting there, I'm sure, during the nighttime, and all of a sudden, what? All of a sudden, they hear chariots, and they hear horses. This is the group the host. What happens? All of a sudden, they go running, because they thought that the king of Israel had hired other kings to come and attack. But what had happened? I bet you those chariots of fire and those forces of fire that were spoken about in chapter 6, guess what? Came alive and showed up. I can't imagine what happened. And all of a sudden they run out of the city and the lepers are sitting there like, dude, the place is deserted. And look what they do. Verse 7. Wherefore they arose in the field in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp as it was, and they fled for their life. That's the Syrians. And verse 8, And when the lepers came to the utmost parts of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink, and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it, and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also, and went and hid it. So they went to these, hey, the Syrian army's camp. It's deserted. It's like walking into Beverly Hills and nobody's there, and everybody just run for the hills, and hey, nobody's coming back. Just like open house, man. You just walk down there, the rich on all this food and money and all these things, and these lepers walk in there and they start taking everything. And they start eating. He said to one another, We do not do well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the kings of the household. So he's sitting there and they're, they're like they found all this stuff, and they're like, man, we can't keep all this to ourselves. We've got to go tell the king. Something bad might happen to us if we kick them here for too long. They don't want to stay in the tents, because if the army comes back, they're going to be slaughtered. I can't imagine what the Syrian army would do to them if they found them stealing stuff in the tents. They run back to the king and tell him what's going on. Just check it out, verse 10. So they came and called into the port of the city, and they told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man. But horses tied and donkeys tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters as they were and told them to the king's house within. So he comes and he tells the boys of the king, and the, the boys of the king come and tell the king. Verse 12. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. 
They know that we be hungry. Therefore they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So, they go and tell the king what had happened. Like, hey, king, king, the Syrians have left. There's nobody in the camp. We should go and seal everything. The king's like, no, listen, this is what's happened. The Syrians are hiding in the field. They're hiding out around the mountains. But what will happen is as soon as they see us come and try to take all their stuff, they're going to come out of the bushes and come and kill everybody. We're not falling for it. Verse 13, and one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, there are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, there are even as the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. Okay, so he tells them, Okay, just go do this. Take five horses, the ones that we got tied up, and go and have them check out the Syrian army and kind of scout out the area and see what's going on. Then we'll know. So the king's like, all right, send five guys to go check out the area, see if those Syrians are out there. Verse 15, And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrian had cast away in the haze. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Okay, so remember what Elisha had said? Barley will be worth five cents, and flour will be worth ten cents. Well, guess what? It happened the next day. How? Well, the king of Israel decided to go into the Syrian tents and take everything. And so guess what? They had more than they could ever want. They took the entire booty, they call it that, spoil the entire, uh, yeah, what I just said, <laughs> riches of the Syrians, and so now they have all this stuff, and guess what, once again, it is sold for this price, for a cheap price, there's no famine in the land anymore, just as Elijah, Elisha had said it was going to happen, remember the, the guy mocking, what, are the windows of heaven going to open up, uh, yeah, actually, yeah. The windows of heaven did open up, chariots of fire came down, and horses and scared the Syrian army away. And guess what? Now Israel has everything they would ever need. And look what happens here at the end, verse 17. The king appointed the Lord, on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. As the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down. Remember the guy? who mocked and said, what are the windows of heaven going to open up? And he's like, yeah, actually the windows of heaven are going to open up, which I just said. And uh, there's going to be plenty of food for everybody to eat. But he said to the man, what? But you will not eat of any of it. You won't eat of a single bit of it. And look what happened. As the people of Israel gathered all the stuff from Syria, they ran back to the city. And who's standing at the gates? This man. And what happened? He got trampled with. That's it. That's it. That's what happened. Verse 18, And it came to pass, when the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, a measure, measure of flour for a shekel, shall be tomorrow about the same, this time in the gate of Samaria. Verse 19, And the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such this thing be. And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it in thine eyes, it shall not eat thereof. So it fell out into him, for the people trod upon him, and the gate died. 
That's how it ends. They brought the story back up and just told it again. Man, crazy stuff. What do we end with? This simple, simple story. Simple principles all the way through this message. You listen to the voice of God. You trust Him. Man, when He says He's going to pull through, He is. He's pulled through every single time in my life. Even the, the biggest disasters... His times have been so hard. Right around the corner is the blessing coming, is a life turning around. But it's very difficult for us to trust God in a hard time, isn't it? It's very hard to trust when things aren't going so well. It's very hard to trust and say, hey, look, don't you see? There's a famine going on, man. There's no food. We can't even eat. I remember there's a famine in my house many days. My brother's wandering, trying to search through the cupboards to find something to eat. Wondering how everything's going to work out, how my dad's going to pay the bills. Now, one time, he wasn't able to. He lost the car. The next time, he wasn't able to either, and we lost the house. The next time, we were in the hotel. He wasn't able to, and we lost the hotel. And then, that was it. We were on our own. And I've been on my own sense. And my brothers have been out there on ever since. And my dad is still there in San Diego and he's actually really well off. And I have a great relationship with my father. We've worked very hard. I always, I almost question the shit like this ago, but how did this happen? But do you know what it has done for my life now? What can happen to me? But lose a car? Been there? Lose a house? Big whoopee, I've done that. Get split up with my family and not have one, I've done that. I've only become stronger through the situation. I've only been able to trust in God throughout the entire time and think, what now? I look back and say, my God has pulled me. He's been faithful to me. Guess what? Yeah, I'm better off than I ever was. And I praise God for that. It's a simple principle. Trust God in your heart time. Trust Him when things aren't going well. It's easy to praise Him when everything's going great, but when the storm hits, which it will in your life, just be ready to praise Him and to trust Him. Amen. Love you guys. I want the best for your life. Apply these things to your life and watch how God will work in you and change you and make you exactly who He's called you to be. Let me pray. Father, do you hear us? I just thank you for this group. I thank you for these people here tonight. And God, and I just ask that you would speak to your people even as we walk out of this place, that you would speak to every every person. As they lay their heads on their pillows tonight, that you would minister, that you would crack open the roof, that you would speak to your people as they go to sleep. They would hear your voice clearly. They would be drawn closer to you. You would work in their lives. That you would pull through. Thank you for being a God who cares. Would you bless these? Please, please, King, would you bless these people? Have your hand upon them. Have your hand upon this coffee shop. Please bless them. 
possibly much of the work that's been done. We put our faith in you tonight. If that's you, you're sitting there and you say, you want to put your faith? You say, God, I trust you. I rely on you this morning. You've got to trust me. I rely on you. I want to focus more on you in the situation that I'm in. And in the future, when hard times come, I choose to trust you. Not to shake my fist at you and ask why, but to trust you and to believe that you pull through. God, if there's anything you need, if there's anybody that you need us to minister to or love tonight, as we walk out of this place or tomorrow when we wake up in the morning, let us know. We want to love the people of Riverside. We want to bless them. Please give us those hearts of compassion. Please open our eyes to see where we can minister. Thank you for the work you're doing in these people. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.